Retirement. That's what we're all aiming at, right? But exactly what does that mean? It conjures up visions of endless days of golf, drinks with little umbrellas in them on a tropical beach, feet up, reading a book. Is that what it's all about? I don't think so. Life would get pretty dull after a while without anything meaningful to do, don't you think? I'm Jackie Doucette, and I'm on a mission to discover exactly what life is like beyond retirement. Join me while I chat with people who've already done it, who've retired to something rather than from something. Let's find out together exactly what's waiting for us when we say goodbye to that nine to five. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Retirement. Today, I'm really excited to have Lawrence Kotlikoff with me. He's a professor of economics at Boston University, and he's the author of Money Magic, An Economist's Secrets to More Money, Less Risk, and a Better Life. It's just come on the, uh, on the bookshelves in January, so we're uh, going to be able to get it right away. Thanks very much for joining me today, Lawrence. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, pl- a great pleasure. So in addition to Money Magic um, that has just come out, you've written a lot of other books. According to your uh, website, 19 of them and hundreds of articles, and you've been named one of the world's 25 most influential economists. So can you tell us a little bit about what led you into uh, focusing on economics? Well, I originally thought I would um, become a doctor. I wanted to do something useful to help people and, uh, and as I relate in the book, uh, I came uh, uh, in close contact with a, uh, a frog that I had basically had to kill and res- resuscitate and kill and resuscitate many times in biology class in freshman year. And by the end of that class, I was an economics major. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I just, I didn't really know anything about economics, but I took a course with a terrific professor, uh, his name is Bob Pollack. He's still teaching at the uh, University of Washington in St. Louis. Fantastic teacher. And then I had some other very good professors at the University of Pennsylvania where I went. And it just got me hooked. And I could see that there was a practical value to economics in solving problems. A lot of, and uh, the book I wrote that you're referencing, Money Magic, is about people's personal financial problems. And they're also their lifestyle decisions that I know your podcast is focused on how to make those kinds of decisions. And uh, economics has a lot to offer in this area. So I got interested through my career in personal finance, but I also work on all kinds of other issues like carbon taxation, uh, banking, re- banking reform, uh, taxation in general, pension policy, uh, social security in our, ca- in our country's case, healthcare policy. So I've, you know, I'm, um, if you keep working at it and you don't, you know, enjoy what you're doing and you're kind of get interested in all the different major issues going on in economics, be it inflation or recession, what caused the Great Recession, for example, I've written about that. Uh, then you just just naturally you're intrigued and you gotta keep working and and uh, it's fun. It's it's kind of like. You know, being an academic, it's not clear it's being it's work. You know, it's, if you love you love, I love what I'm doing, and I'm constantly inter- interested in in what's going on and trying to understand, explain things. Uh, like 
right, right now we have this inflation going on 6%. It's cutting into people's real incomes if they're on fixed uh, pensions. And if they've got, let's say, long-term bonds, uh, they just lost 6% of the value because we're running a 6% inflation. Is this going to continue? What's really causing it? What's driving it? Is it the, the bottlenecks, the supply uh, shortages, or is it something more about the government's printing what, what appears to be printing a ton of money over the last 12 years or so? So how do um, how does someone who is just kind of you know Joe Blow sitting at their table, not not a professor of economics, not not having studied it at all, how do they um, how can they use economics to help them in their day to day life? Well, okay, so I have a let me just mention my website, which is kotlikoff.net. So I post every column that I write. I write a lot of columns to the public. And I read a lot of articles. So whenever I write an article about something, uh, maybe it's about carbon taxation, then I usually write a few op-eds so I can convey to the public what the message is about that topic. Um, so, and then I'm writing these, these books to the public. How can you, so if you're thinking about personal finance and your decisions about your lifestyle and how to think about, how to use economics to decide, for example, whether or not to sell your home, uh, whether to downsize your home, to sell and rent, for example, or downsize your home, sell and, and buy another home, yeah. or sell and move to another uh, part of the country. In our country, we can, in the US, you can you know, leave uh, California where you might be paying up to a 13% income tax, move to Texas where there's no state income tax. Now there's also property taxes that are higher and, uh, and uh, maybe sales taxes are higher. So you have to think about those considerations as well. But these are the kind of choices. Uh, do I give up my neighbors and my friends from California in the Valley that I'm living in LA and go and live in Texas where I don't know anybody and I'm 70 and but gee, I have this extra spending money. Gee, I could fly my friends to come visit me. I don't see them every day anyway. Or I can go fly and stay in an Airbnb for a month a year. So that's, or you know, if I'm, if I'm in a, let's say, I, I give you one other quick example of that on the housing side that I discussed in the in the book, Money Magic. Um, we have, uh, my wife and I, I have uh, friends who have, they're not retired, but they could be retired uh, in the sense that this could be a retired couple doing this. So they have a nice apartment in Boston. And what they did is they Airbnb'd it, they rented it out and they took that money and they hopped on an airplane and they went to Tahiti. And then they went from T Tahiti, they went to New Zealand. And then from New Zealand, they went to, oh, Australia, and then they went to Europe, and they ended up, after six months, they ended up in Crete, and it was all paid for by the rental on their apartment in Boston. So basically, they had a trip around the world financed by, and they were happier. So if you're retired, and you want to travel, and you want to figure out how, you know, how can I afford to do this? I don't, well, one way, one way is to use your house 
as an asset in these days with Airbnb that you can, a lot of people can do that, which was not formerly the case. So, or you can, if you have a place that's not airbnb maybe it's a condo that doesn't allow that. You could sell your condo, buy a house in a nice place that you don't want to be in all, time, all year long and Airbnb it, live half the year and then travel half the year all off your house. So that's it. That's definitely a way that they can see the world, do other things and hold on to their property. Um, how would... How would you recommend that someone decides if that's a good choice or not? Well, I mean, if, if it's not costing, you know, in this case of my, of our friends, it really wasn't costing them anything on balance. The, the money they were getting from the Airbnb rental, because Boston rents are so high, the hotel rents, so the Airbnb rents are so high that they had enough money that they could just live off that rent and live on in lower cost housing around the world and come back. And they really didn't end up any poorer. Uh, this was like a free vacation is the idea. And that's, yeah. That's pretty cool, you know, right? Exactly. I don't know too many people who wouldn't want a free vacation. <laughs> yeah. So this was um, my, I have a cousin who lives in LA and LA real estate is very expensive. And so in you know, rental so she has a house that uh, she really wasn't able to afford living in because the property taxes are so high. So, and she had a garage, just a regular garage. So what she decided to do was to Airbnb her house and to renovate, use the proceeds from the Airbnb uh, rentals to renovate her garage and turn it into a studio apartment and so most of the year she rents her house out and this is giving her retirement income. And she gets to be where she wants to be in LA and same neighborhood. Her, she has relatives nearby, other relatives. And, um, and then some part of the year she gets to be in her own house. So this is a way of you know, dealing with the trapped equity that a lot of people have in their homes. It's kind of a way of like downsizing without actually selling your house, but of course, a lot of people have uh, homes that are, you know, four bedrooms and the kids have moved out and they could move around the corner to a two, two bedroom. And uh, the reason I got into that, you know, that's one of the chapters in the book It's called Dead House Rich. I got into this because during COVID, um, which is obviously still going on, so we can't just say it's over, but, um, Toward the beginning of COVID, my wife and I were living in our 960 square foot condo in Boston, and we decided it was driving us a little bit crazy being in that. So it's a large space for most, a lot of people around the world. For most people around the world, 960 square feet is a luxury. But we thought, gee, maybe we could sell our condo and find some place that had more space and also had an out, out you know, a yard. So my wife started looking around and she came up with Providence, Rhode Island and the house that I'm speaking to you from, uh, she found on online by searching, it's 301 years old. It was built in 1720. I think Louis the 14th wow. was still 
the king of France. I'm not positive, but I think he was the king of France. It's that old. It's one of the oldest houses in the country, in the North America. And we just locked into this place. But the, but the interesting thing is it's more the, as an economist, uh, I hated the idea of moving to Providence from Boston because I just love Boston. And, the, and once I got here and fell in love with the house and saw I could really enjoy, there were lots of, Providence had lots to offer and there's beaches and Rhode Islands, all this that I know about. I realized how ignorant I had been about choices, about not looking around, not pricing the options. But the, the really interesting thing was that the price of per square foot of this house was one third what it was, what our condo sold for in wow. Boston. So we get, were able to get a bigger house with, uh, you know, at a lower total outlay than we sold our place for in Boston. And that's, um, you know, that's, that's a way of, so we're not, I'm not retired, but if I had, whether this is kind of independent of being retired, I know you're focused, your program's focused on how do you make a, a better life in retirement? And uh, uh, given your resources, um, not, obviously you could go back to work and I am still working, but, but this decision was really uh, not impacted by whether or not I was working. No, exactly. So that's one of the things that you talked about was, you know, making, making the decision of whether you want to keep your house and, you know, rent it out at Airbnb or, or, you know, just sell it and move somewhere else. How, how do people, maybe you don't know, how do you, how do people make those decisions? What, what kind of criteria do they have to look at in deciding about their, so, their lifestyle choices? This is the bigger um, economics point, which is that we want to price uh, out our decisions. Uh, we have a certain amount of resources and we need to know the price of, of every lifestyle choice starting with the retirement itself, you know, because we're buying leisure, if we're giving up, we're saying we're going to st stop working at 63. Well, that may, that's a decision to take the longest vacation of our lives. And we may end up working, having, uh, being retired longer than we actually worked. Could happen. A lot of people are living into their late nineties. Uh, so, so in the book, I discussed, um, the power of economics to price decisions, lifestyle decisions. Uh, like that decision about going around the world uh, by you know, using your rental of your Airbnb. Suppose it wasn't a break-even option for them. Suppose it would have cost them you know, $20,000. Could they afford it? Well, they have to think about it the other, the next best use of that money or the a better use of that 20,000 and then really understand whether this entire venture made sense. Um, so if it's buying a new car, for example, uh, maybe you want to uh, buy an electric car because you're you know, conscious about, the, about climate change and you feel like you want to get on board with that. Uh, but uh, and, you know, is it really a better idea than keeping your 
20 year old car that's uh, you just had fixed and looks like it could go on for another 10 years. And uh, uh, what's what would you otherwise be doing with the money that you're going to have tied up in that car, a new car, mostly it's going to be sitting in, the, in your garage or whatever. Uh, what could you be doing with that? Could you be going on a vacation? Could you be buying uh, theater tickets, annual, you know, yearly theater tickets or tickets to the um, museum or the, or the uh, opera? Um, what, what, what uh, or could you be taking more trips to visit your grandchildren uh, or helping your kids out with the money uh, that you'd otherwise be spending on the car? What's more important, helping the kids go to, the grandkids go get some, go to camp, for example, versus uh, that's, it doesn't sound like a lifestyle decision, but it is a lifestyle decision. It's the decision to feel good, even not doing anything different in terms of your daily life. You're feeling better because you've helped your uh, kids do some, you know, you've helped your grandkids who are very precious, precious to you. So uh, I talk in the book and I mentioned this to you, you know, before we started, um, about the idea, the analogy of going shopping uh, with a in, a in a grocery store where you have, I'll say, hundred dollars to spend, and you start putting things into your uh, cart, but there's no prices listed on the commodities that you're putting into the cart, and as soon as the cart fills up with hundred dollars worth of product automatically your credit card is charged. So think about that experience. You'd be very unhappy. You'd, you'd walk out of that store with $100 worth of products, but not $100 worth of happiness. <laughs> so that would be like buying things blind. And in retirement, or even before retirement, when we make our lifestyle decisions, we have to price them out. We have to know what things cost. And that sometimes can be uh, difficult. Uh, we have to kind of sit down with a piece of paper um, or software. I've, I've worked um, uh, on the side. Uh, I'm a professor, as you know, of economics at Boston University, but uh, on the side, I set up a software company to do, put together economics-based financial planning. So the, the software, it's called Maxify, M-A-X-I-F-I.com allows you to say, well, here's a base living center plan. Now, if I do this, like I retire early, how much will that lower my sustainable spending in today's dollars? Uh, after all the taxes and all the off the top expenditures, how much will my living standard, my, my fund money go down on a sustainable basis if I retire early or if I buy this car or if I buy a boat, this boat, uh, or if I, um, uh, you know, take this trip around the world that's not paid for by Airbnb, if I don't have any other source of income. But you can also say, well, what if I do these two things? I, I buy the, take the trip around the world, but I also Airbnb my apartment. And I just leave it locked up, but I actually rent it. And so I've got rental income coming in. I've got expenditures going out on the, on the trip. Um, and then I see, well, it's not impacting my sustainable living standard to do this. So that's, um, so we actually have software now and the book is trying to show people, even if they don't 
want to use that software or some other type of software that they might use their own Excel spreadsheet. They conceptually how to make these calculations, how to put, um, to use arithmetic even to figure this stuff out, to figure out what something really costs. And it's not just this year's cost, but you have to think about if I buy a Lexus um, or no, a, a tel Tesla, because we're talking about electric car for $80,000, uh, and maybe I lease it, well, this is gonna cost me spending money for the rest of my life. Yep. Not, I'm gonna smooth it out. This is what e economics says. We're not gonna just uh, reduce our spending by $80,000 this year and then live at the same level thereafter. We're gonna, we're gonna take the hit through time. And how big is that hit? Well, you know, maybe $80,000 over 40 years 2,000 a year, roughly, it's not so terrible, right? Maybe I'll save on gas, I will. And so maybe it's not uh, 2,000, maybe it's only 1,500. And uh, uh, maybe that $1,500 is worth it in terms of my feelings about the environment, uh, the climate change by doing my part. Uh, this may be the last car I have to buy because uh, or I find out by doing my research that this, these things are very expensive to repair and that and the, the battery is only gonna last five years. I'm gonna have to put that in. Uh, so it's not just 1,500 a year, but it's more. So, you know, you quickly kind of narrow down, what is this really gonna mean in terms of what I get to spend on other stuff? That's the cost of that Tesla versus, and then I gotta say, well, of course I got the, if I don't do this, then I got the cost of the other, you know, like, like I can, can't you know, forget about needing to repair the current car I've got. But so you factor all this stuff in and you end up with the net cost of the te Tesla and you see whether it's really worth it. So you make, what I'm trying to get is if we can make these decisions in a very systematic uh, method way without any advanced high powered mathematics, it's really just arithmetic. And it's arithmetic, particularly these days because the interest rates are so low. So a dollar in the future right now, when you disc, when you say, is that, what is that dollar worth? It's kind of worth a dollar adjusted for inflation, at least in the US, because the long-term interest rates adjusted, the, what we call inflation adjusted interest rates, real interest rates are close to zero because interest rates are so low. So it's really a matter of just um, not being, a, you know, the, the ability to, to treat a dollar in the future adjusted for inflation like a dollar today uh, makes these calculations actually quite easy. So what you're, maybe, what you're saying is, you know, you start out, it's just kind of a, a pros and cons list of what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, what it, how it's going to affect you, what the, you know, what the outcome might be. And then right. you can put some kind of monetary value on it based on the cost of what it is that you're doing. Yeah. Um, there's an expression that people say that economists know the uh, price of everything, but the value of nothing. <laughs> you know, this is, but I think, I think uh, general, people in general know uh the value of a lot of things, but the price of nothing. Yeah, we know. We kind of have the feeling we have. We know. We know what the value of 
of spending a month in Greece on some beautiful island would be. We know how much ha how happy that would make, or or this um, or having a massage every week. Uh, uh, how good that would feel, but we don't really know what the price is unless we really think about it in terms of what it, what does it mean we're going to give up? Does this mean we have to go to fewer restaurants? We go to get to a restaurant twice a month rather than three times a month. Right. Uh, uh, but we can figure this out with, I mean, that's what the book is really trying to guide people to, to understand what things cost, but it's also trying to shake up people's uh, thinking about personal finance in general. And in a sense that the economics approach to personal finance, what we suggest, advise people do with their finances, whether it's investment decisions, saving decisions, insurance decisions, life retirement decisions, uh, annuitization, social security decisions, which is in our country, we can decide when to take social security and it makes a big difference as to how much that initial benefit is that continues till you die. You have to wait to get it to be higher, but it's much higher if you wait. It's like 76% higher than if you take it at 62, if you wait till 70, your retirement benefit. So how do you think about this? And we economists think about it entirely differently from the way the financial industry, the way Wall Street is thinking about it and talking to the public about it. And what I'm trying to convey in the book is that we, the difference is that we have a, first of all, a theoretical framework uh, for coming up with where, where, from where we're coming from that's grounded in a hundred years of research going back to work by a famous economist named Irving Fisher at Yale in the 1920s and 30s. He was the mo most famous economist in the world at the time. He did very fundamental work on saving and uh, spending and what we call life cycle consumption smoothing versus the industry, which is trying to sell product and give advice at the same time. And the problem is they're conflicted. So if your financial planner, if your broker uh, is telling you to do X, Y, and Z, and they're also charging you for selling you insurance products or selling or managing your money, um, they're conflicted. And so their advice is not independent of what they're just trying to sell you. And that's not the case with the economics. It's certainly not the case with, with me and my company. We have a software that provides advice, but doesn't sell any products. We don't get any, that we wouldn't take any advertising. People have asked advertising on our website, their products, no way. That's, to, that's a clear violation of fiduciary responsibility. If you're giving somebody suggestions, we, we literally can't say that we're giving financial advice because we're not, uh, we don't have any, you know, you can't say that legally in the US and start to become a, a fiduciary in certain, in certain ways that we're not. Uh, so we're just giving suggestions from economics. I was going to say, you're, you're showing people what they can do and what the results of that are going to be. You're not saying, hey, go do this. Yeah, we're just showing a, a, a trade-off. And, and also with like an invest, investing, that's a lifestyle decision. So also, you may not think about that as a lifestyle decision, but it's a decision whether or not to sleep well at night. Because if you put 
all your money in the stock market, let's say you retire at 65 and you say, well, I got um, $3 million and I've got a pension of 30,000 a year. And uh, well, if you're happy to live on 30,000 a year and if the 3 million go, you, you put all the 3 million in the stock market and the stock market drops in half and you at that point pull out because uh, you've said you've had it. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that the stock market, you may pull out because it's time to pull out. You've lost enough money. And there's no guarantee, as I say in the book, as the economic teaches us, that the stock market will go back up. But financial planners will tell you, for certainly the person who's running your money, who's charging you for running your money, for having lost 50% of your money uh, with his advice or her advice, that the stock market is going to go back. It's going to come back. Just be patient. Be be um, brave. Stick it out. But the stock market actually evolves as a random walk. It doesn't evolve uh, in any way, shape, or form that says that if it drops today, that it's that there's anything that's going to bring it back for sure. Because it's only going to come back up if there's new information that nobody knew about today. Uh, that would drive it up. But the new information that comes in that isn't known today, if it was known today, would be affecting the price today. So all the current price embeds all the information that's out there uh, right now. So anything that's gonna move the price next tomorrow is gonna to be new information. And new information by definition can be good or bad. So if, it's, if the market has dropped, it can drop again tomorrow and it can keep dropping. And that's what's known as a random walk. It can, it will randomly go up and it, where it will be in the future has no connection to where it is today. Right. And uh, so you can't count on it coming back. So if you invest uh, really aggressively in retirement, you're talking about a lot of sleepless nights. You're, you're talking about your living standard potentially taking a path down the hill. Down the hill. Now, it is true that if you invest more aggressively in higher yield securities, uh, riskier securities are, are likely to do better. They're, they're riskier, but they have some advantage, which is that on average, they're gonna do better, but there's bigger upside and downside. So if you invest in those things, uh, it's a higher, there's a higher chance that you're gonna do well through time than if you invest safely. But there's also, if you invest that way, there's a small chance you're going to do poorly. But when you do, do do poorly, you do very poorly. That's what, and that's generally not conveyed by the, by the financial industry. They say, oh, your, your chance of doing well, your chance of succeeding, of being able to spend up here in retirement at your targeted level is higher if you invest this way with me. But they're not talking about the magnitude of the downside. We're going to take a break here and bring Lawrence back next week to continue this conversation. So next week, instead of having me chat about Lawrence's ideas all by my lonesome, Lawrence is going to be here again. And that's it for this episode of Beyond Retirement. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope you enjoyed it. Are you ready to start rocking your retirement? Head on over to www.beyondretirement.ca forward slash rocking it. And sign up to plan out your own roadmap for retirement. Don't wait till it's too late.